Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, record geeks, retired plate spinners, and millennials who want to impress their parents with their record collections. Welcome to the RhinoCast podcast, brought to you by Rhino Records. Get ready for new releases, deep tracks, and conversations with your favorite artists and bands. And balloons for the kiddies. And now, your hosts with the most, Rich Mahan and Dennis the Menace. On this week's RhinoCast, we've got Graham Nash talking about his new release, Over the Years. It is amazing. I can't wait to share some of the rarities. Let's get into one right now. Stick around for our conversation with Graham Nash. I'll light the fire. You place the flowers in the vase that you bought today. Staring at the fire for hours and hours while I listen. Dennis? We have rock and roll royalty on the RhinoCast today. We absolutely do. We're talking with Graham Nash today about his new retrospective collection over the years. You know, I've always been a huge fan of the Hollies and CSNY and Graham Nash's solo work. But the great fun of hosting these podcasts and getting to talk to the artists is learning so much about the music and the people behind it. And I think everyone listening out there is going to look mighty brilliant the next time they're talking music with their friends. Graham takes us inside his best-loved songs, and the cool thing about this new collection over the years is Disc 1 has those great songs and the recordings we're familiar with, and Disc 2 includes 12 unreleased demos that have never been heard before. I mean, songs like Immigration Man, Military Madness, they're still relevant four decades later. Absolutely. This music is timeless and has been woven into the fabric of our lives. And how amazing is it that Graham's still touring and sharing this music with his fans? 
I'm really excited that he's here today to talk with us about it and share some insight on these songs. And this one's going to be filled with music because these demos, that many of them were recorded at the studio where the albums were recorded. They're much more than demos. Sonically, they're fantastic. And, you know, some of them are recorded in an apartment. But like you said, most of them are professionally recorded because by the time he wrote them, he had the ways and means to get into good studios to do it. Well, I think it's time to talk to Graham Nash here on the RhinoCast. Hi, Graham. Thanks for talking with us today. Thank you, Rich and Dennis. How are you doing? We're doing great. Good. Good. So this collection is special because it celebrates the craft of your songwriting, and many might not be aware of how much it was you on some of these songs. And I'm going to start with the obvious, which is Marrakesh Express that got you to L.A. where this collection starts. Obviously, you thought it fit into the Hollies canon when you presented it, or were you looking to move things along a little bit? I've always been the one that wanted to move things along a little bit. And I'd written a song called King Midas in Reverse, and we made a, a, what I thought was a pretty good record of it, uh, but it only got sales-wise into the top 30, and normally the Hollies uh, songs got into the top five, top 10. And, and when I was with them, we had like, I don't know, 15, 16 top 10 records, you know? I mean, any band would give their right arm to be in the top 30 of anything, right? You know, But to the Hollies, they didn't continue to trust my musical direction anymore. Was Marrakesh Express inspired by an actual train trip? Oh, sure. In 1966, I, uh, I took a vacation. I was following the American beat poets and what they did, and it seemed that they were going down to Marrakesh in Morocco and smoking a lot of dope and writing poetry. It sounded good to me, so I did that. I took a train down from Casablanca to Marrakesh. I was in the first-class compartment with the two older American ladies who had their gray hair dyed blue, which was amazing to me. Uh, but there wasn't a lot going on there, and I went back to the third-class compartment, and uh, that's where it was really happening. There is a demo of Marrakesh Express that was released on the CSN Demos record. What's different about that version? That was a demo of the three of us doing that song, but the one that's on my album over the years is actually me uh, on my own doing it. And that version is really stripped down and shows the bare bones of the song. It's very cool. Yeah, and that's the interesting point that musicians are, are looking at. They, 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 you know, And people that enjoy music are enjoying hearing the initial fire, the initial flash of, of creation when you put a song down for the very first time and then compare that to the actual record that was made of it. sunset in your eyes Traveling the train through clear Moroccan skies Ducks and pigs and chickens call Animal carpet wall to wall American ladies five foot tall in blue Sweeping cobwebs from the edges of my mind Had to get away to seek what we could find Days that lie ahead Bring us back to where they've led Listen not to what's been said to you Wouldn't you know we're riding On the Marrakesh Express Wouldn't you know we're riding On the Marrakesh Express Taking me to Marrakesh All on board the train 
Between that song not being accepted, response to King Midas in reverse, you know, you did have thoughts of moving on because it was the gig at the Whiskey A Go-Go while on tour that was the first hint of greener pastures and Cass Elliott later set up a more formal meetup with you and Mr. Crosby, correct? Yes, indeed. In early 67, the Hollies were being thrown a party in Los Angeles by our record company, which I think was Liberty Records at the time. And, you know, you've got a plastic glass and with some cheap wine and you're trying to remember the name of the promoter's wife, you know, and those kind of schmoozes, you know. And this kid came up to us, this little 15-year-old kid, and he knew everything that the Hollies had done. He knew every song, he knew every B-side, he knew that we had done a Shell Oil advert in 1964. I mean, this kid knew everything. And he came up to us and he said, so what are you doing after this party? Now, the Hollies, I mean, it was kind of funny, but the Hollies all took a step backwards, which made it appear that I'd stepped forward. And I said to him, I don't know, what do you want to do? He said, well, I've got these friends that are making a record around the corner, and I want you to know if you want you to go. I said, who is it? He said, they're called the Mamas and the Papas. Now, I'd seen the album cover of the first album, and every red-blooded American probably wanted you to make love to Michelle. So I said, yeah, I'd like to come and see these people. Yeah, let's go. So we went down there. Um, John uh, Phillips and, and Denny Doherty and, uh, and Michelle were... Uh, putting a vocal overdub on so I couldn't go in there the red light was on of course and Cass was the one outside and I started to talk to her and unfortunately within a minute of talking to Cass Elliot who I'd never met before she was crying oh because she'd asked me what I thought John Lennon would think of their music and I said, well, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not really great friends with John. I do know him, but, uh, you know, but knowing him, uh, he would probably keep you at arm's length, you know, until he trusted you enough to come in closer. And so he would probably put you down at first. That's what started her crying. And then I realized that she had a crush on John and didn't want to hear that he might put that music down. And then she said, well, so what are you doing tomorrow? I said, wow, you Americans always want to know what we're doing later, you know, <laughs> why? She said, I want to introduce you to this friend of mine. And she didn't tell me his name. And so she picked me up at the Knickerbocker Hotel in her convertible Porsche. I don't know whether you know anything about Los Angeles, but Laurel Canyon is only 10 minutes from Hollywood. And um, I go up these stairs into this house, you know, and, and there's a, a room with just a couch and a sound system in it. And a guy uh, lying on the couch in a blue striped T-shirt and some jeans, no socks. And while he's talking to me, he's shaking the lid of a shoebox. 
that was full of dope and he's separating the stems and the seeds and the grass itself whilst keeping constant eye contact with me. It was David Crosby. <laughs> and um, that was my first meeting with David. Wow. I was hanging out with him one day and he said, you know, I want you, I want to introduce you to this friend of mine. And uh, Peter talks throwing a party at his house on Mulholland. Let's go. So we go up to Peter's house and open the door and, and you know, and all the smoke came <laughs> billowing out of the door. And there was this piano being played. Incredible energy, kind of Cuban, Brazilian kind of feel. Obviously, whoever was playing it knew what he was doing. And I said to David, I said, hey, listen, that's pretty cool. He said, yeah, that's who I want to introduce you to. This is Stephen Stills. Wow. That's when I met Stephen for the first time. Joni was the muse for a lot of songs, most prominently Our House. Tell me a story that captures a rarefied moment in time for you. One of the most interesting points in my relationship with Joni was the fact that she was the only witness to the birth of Crosby, Stills and Nash. I had come from London to Los Angeles, spent three or four days with Joan, uh, got to the house, got out of the cab, heard other voices there, which kind of upset me. I just want you to be with Joan. But it was David and Stephen having dinner with Joni. And uh, we smoked a big one, of course. David had been thrown out of the birds and the Springfield had broken up and Stephen and David were trying to get a duo thing together. Uh, and so David said, hey, hey, Stephen, play Willie that song that we just did. And it was a song called You Don't Have to Cry off the first Crosby, Stills and Nash record. And they sang it in two part, got to the end of the song and I said, wow, first of all, Stephen, that's a fantastic song. And secondly, would you sing it again? They looked at each other, they shrugged, and they sang it again. They got to the end of the second time that they'd ever sung it, and by those two times that they sang it, I learned my part. I learned what I was going to sing. I was watching how Stephen was breathing. I watched Crosby's body language, where he would stop and start a, a phrase. And I said, do me a favor, just sing it one more time. And they did. I added, I added my harmony. It sounded so ridiculously good to us <laughs> that we actually had to stop singing and start laughing in the middle of the song. Wow. Um, it was that ridiculous. And at that moment, I realized I would have to go back to England and leave everything and come and follow this sound. Is it a fact that Teach Your Children was also rejected by the Hollies? No, I hadn't quite finished it enough to be able to present it to them. But, you know... I kind of didn't want to present it to him. My time was over with them. I mean, you've got to understand something very clearly here. I had heard me and David and Stephen sing together. We had made our three voices into one voice in, in Joni's living room all those years ago. And once I heard that sound, now you've got to understand, the Hollies and the Birds and the Springfield are very decent harmony bands, but this was a completely different sound. I wanted it. I'm a musician. My heart wanted it. And once I heard that sound, I realized I had to go back to England and I had to leave the Hollies. I had to leave my family and my friends and my money and my equipment and follow that sound. The last show I played with the Hollies was on December the 8th at the London Palladium in London. And on December the 10th, I was in Los Angeles with David and Stephen. Pre-Road Downs didn't have the last verse about the hotels and the coaches and the roaches yet on the demo. When did right. that come to be? That came to be when Stephen Stills, when we cut that track, it was Stephen's idea to do that. Ah. 
you got to understand, I think Stephen Stills, you know, in those days was a genius. I mean, you know, he played most of the instruments on that first record. Of course, Crosby and I played rhythm guitar on our stuff, you know, Lady of the Island and Marrakesh and Pre-Road and Long Time Gone and Guinevere, etc. But Stephen played uh, lead guitar, he played some rhythm guitar, he played B3, he played piano, he played the bass, he played percussion. <laughs> yes, quite a musician, eh? Captain Many Hands, was that his name? That was it. Captain Manyhans. That was, that's how David and I refer to Stephen. Is it true that Mama Cass sang backups on pre-road downs? How did you know that? How did you know that? Oh, we do our research. Yeah, she, she's the only ever person to ever sing on that first Crosby, Stills & Nash record. And it was on that track, pre-road downs, yes. Very cool. How'd that come to be? You know, I think Cass Elliot knew what CSN was going to be before CSN ever knew. I mean, she obviously was friends with David and Stephen, and she knew that they were doing a, a duo thing, and she knew that if they got a high voice, that maybe they could turn this into something really fantastically strange. And our friend John Sebastian, when Stephen and David asked him about getting another person to sing with them, he said, well, you only have two choices. Phil Everly or Graham Nash. Take your choice. <laughs> wow. And what a lovely compliment to me. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So I'll miss you on the road, I'll be wanting you, but I have you, cause I love you, and you have me cause you love me too, It's fascinating how the addition of the harmonies truly takes the songs to a different melodic color palette when you were recording csn did you realize how iconic these songs were going to be did you have any idea no but we did know that we had created a vocal blend that was uh, very listenable to and when you put that together with the personalities and you put that together with the actual songs there was no doubt that we were going to be quite popular we knew from the very moment that we gave Ahmed Erdogan uh, the two-track master of the first CSN record we knew that it was going to be very popular you know at that time there was a lot of heavy metal you know there was Zeppelin and Jimmy and stuff like that but we knew that this kind of acoustic-y kind of uh, album would snake its way all the way through to the top and it did it was a great collaboration between you guys. I mean, you were all fantastic writers, and it seemed that you all lifted each other to greater height than you could have reached. Absolutely. We, you, have to have your, you have to bring your best game if you're playing with Stephen Stills and David Crosby and Neil Young. What I'm curious about, when it came to the sequencing and the choices that you made for the studio tracks on Over the Years, what was your filter? How did you decide? Between myself and my friend Joel Bernstein, who has been my fellow producer for all these years, and my uh, manager, Mark Spector, we figured out, you know, what my fans' favorite songs of mine are. We put that into a, into a nice musical journey and then decided, obviously, to, to make it as different as possible and more intimate. We put all these demos on. I think you've shown incredible restraint to not release these demos previously. How did you keep them off either the CSN demos record or your box set reflections? We just made a lot of music in the last 50 years, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. And the truth is, if if CSN and CSNY never make another note of music, look what we did in 50 years. Talk about the demo included on the set that has a dual personality. It's most familiar to me and the Terry Reid guys. Are you talking about Horses Through a Rainstorm? 
Yes, I am. Yeah, I cut that in my apartment in London in 19, late 1968. Uh, it's a song that I wrote with Terry. He calls it uh, Without Expression because that's one, uh, you know, I've always called it Horses Through a Rainstorm because that's the opening line, have you ever ridden horses through a rainstorm? And uh, quite frankly, with all uh, due respect, two nights ago I played a show with Terry, got up and sang with him at the Cutting Room here in New York City. I've always recognized the fact that Terry Reed is a great, great vocalist and writer. Have you ever ridden horses through a rainstorm? Or led a lion through a busy street bazaar? There are many things I'd like to turn you on to. But somehow I feel you're safe where you are. I still play Chicago from the original single all the time. It went to number 35 on the Hot 100. And it became part of a political quartet with Military Madness, Immigration Man, and War Song. And they hold up today four decades later, given everything going on in our world. Isn't that sad? It's a compliment as a musician to have songs last favorably for so many years. But what a pain in the ass to still have to sing Immigration Man. I mean, look what's going on right now. There's what? 11 wars going on as we speak? You know, have we learned nothing in the last 45 years? Perhaps the the shortest song of the CSN canon, 2 minutes and 13 seconds, was written in an hour on a dare, rumor has it. That's right. And it went to number seven on the charts, the biggest of all. Yeah. I I tell you this, if it was just a song before I go, I was at a friend's house in Maui. I had a couple of hours to kill before I had to catch a plane back to Los Angeles to go into the studio with David and Stephen. And he uh, was a friend of mine. And as I stood up, he said, hey, you're supposed to be a songwriter i bet you can't write a song just before you go i said how much <laughs> he said five hundred dollars I, I still have his five hundred dollars it's kind of like when you're a retailer and you put up the first bills that you make in your restaurant right that's right you put that first dollar on and nail it to the wall just a song before i go to whom it may concern Sound, it's easy to get burned When the shows were over We had to get back home and When we opened up the door I had to be alone You and the other members of CSNY are still around to tell the tales. I mean, Reg Dwight who you signed way back is, is making his last tour go round. 
Uh, yeah, well, you know, some people uh, come to the end and some people don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to tell you, Reggie Dwight, obviously Elton John, played on the Everly Brothers album that uh, we helped them make in, in, in 1966 called Two Yanks in England. Elton was a, was a session man. It was Reggie Dwight, of course, at that time. And another guy was John Paul Jones and uh, Jimmy Page. Wow. They were all session men right there. I do find myself in Laurel Canyon a lot. And, you know, as I'm driving around, I'm playing, you know, obviously CSNY and Joni and, and, and so many of the era. When you go back up there, can you still smell what that all was like? Absolutely. Yeah, you can't go to Laurel Canyon and not be uh, cognizant of the musical history that went down there in, in the late 60s. As you mentioned, Joni, I want to let you know that Joni is coming back to full operation pretty quick. It's been a couple of years since her accident, since her brain aneurysm, uh, and since the coma that she was in. But now she's walking and talking and funny as hell still. Oh, that's really good to hear. This album serves as a great introduction to your songwriting and what you've created through the years. But if you had to pick one song for somebody who was uninitiated to get their first taste off of this collection, what would it be? Probably Teach Your Children. I mean, you know, many people have heard that song and, and many people love it. And, and to hear my original demo of it is kind of interesting. And when I played that demo for Stephen, he said, you know what, that's, that's kind of a cool song. He said, but don't ever play it like that again. <laughs> I said, what? He said, this is how that should go. And he put that great country feel to it and turned it into a big hit. You who are on the road Must have a code You try to live by And so become yourself Just a goodbye Teach your children well Their parents help It slowly go by And feed them on your dreams The one they picked The one you know When talking about over the years, you know, what else in addition to the songs is the magic that you want people to hear? I want them to feel great when they listen to it. I want it to be a nice part of their life. Life is so difficult, particularly here in America and particularly with this Trump administration. It seems to be getting dire and, and, and sadder by the second. This Trump administration is putting this country back 50 years and undoing incredibly hard work to give Americans clean air and clean water. I mean, how do you, how do you put somebody in charge of the EPA who has threatened to destroy the very agency? Seriously? Are you kidding me? In the words of a single that I have worn out multiple Imperial Records copies of, we will pay him back with interest. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> Very interesting. Nice, nicely done. Well, thank you. <laughs> Great speaking with you, Graham. Thank you. I appreciate that, gentlemen. Thank you very much. 
Howdy, buckaroos. Circle the wagons and sound the alarm. It's time for the Rhino Roundup. Hey there, it's John Hughes. And Lauren G. And this is the Rhino Roundup. Joined again by a couple of special guests. Introduce yourselves, please. Um, it's Duran Bowers and A&R. And Dana Jacques from BA. Or uh, Business Affairs. Business Affairs. Yeah, you both, you know, you're both rhinos, right? Come on. We're all rhinos. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Summer of Love 1967. It just has come up. It's so in the... Uh, the pop culture uh, mindset right now with the Buffalo Springfield for what it's worth kind of uh, going viral again around all of the political activity that's going on and you know I know we did a big celebration for this last year the 50th anniversary but these songs still resonate and it doesn't matter really no I think that it obviously given the current times and whatnot what's going on the music still reverberates uh, you know the Especially Buffalo Springfield, that definitely, you touched on that. But, um, you know, a lot of this stuff, it, it, they were, at that time, you have to remember what was going on in the country during that time in 67. It's just, it's kind of, we're almost in the same spot. So the music is definitely something that speaks to what's happening right now. Some other songs that were popular then, you know the one I'm going to go to. So we might as well Monkeys, just get, yeah, Pleasant Valley just get Sunday, out of the way. John Hughes, I'm a believer. Superfan. <laughs> you know, you've got I'm a believer as well. I like Groovin' from the Young Rascals. Mm-hmm. That's just a, a good, mellow, a, a Pleasant Valley Sunday afternoon with Groovin'. <laughs> and uh, I like The Doors. So Doors' album comes out, Light My Fire, is, you know, Ray Manzarek immediately comes in. It just kicks off a whole new generation of like music that's transformed everything since anything hit you in the sweet spot yeah i was made to love her stevie wonder oh wow that was to me it kind of woke him up and put him in he started going in a direction that led to his um 70s genius era but i think that song was the beginning of that it really kicked that off like it was very Nice and pop and summery, but it was real musical at the same time. So it was a change for him too, wasn't it? Was. It was. It, it was. He went from being little Stevie and the real nice pop um, response songs to something that was very soulful for his age. I think he was like 19, 18 years old at the time. Let's see you do that, Justin Bieber. I think you can't. You also you can't forget um, Jimi Hendrix and the oh. Grateful Dead because those are. are critical to that time period yeah interesting because the dead was that first record it's so unique in the grateful dead catalog because it's i always joke that it's almost like a power pop record because it's got like three and a half minute songs yeah three minute songs it's very different for them and they were you know under the influence of of a lot of r&b at the time (laughs) that's not what i thought you were going to say well that too Well, obviously, all this stuff is available wherever you uh, consume music. Uh, Playlists, if you type in Best of 1967, you just can't go wrong. Check it all out. Educate yourself if you are not familiar with this era and this time period, or if you just want to reminisce, you can't lose. And that's this week's Rhino Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the RhinoCast, listening to Graham Nash talk about his new release, Over the Years. This is a must-listen. Just for the demos alone, everything sounding as good as it does. Rich, I know we asked a lot of questions today, but I have one more for you. What's that? Where can I get all the music I just heard? You can go to rhino.com. You can go to your favorite local record store. You can go to your favorite streaming service. You can go to your favorite download service. 
And last but certainly not least, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next RhinoCast. Executive producers for Rhino, John Hughes and Lauren Goldberg. Produced for Rhino by PopCult and Rich Mayhan Promotions. All rights reserved. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.